Well, good morning. It's good to see you all and to be together after Thanksgiving and to enjoy the, the wonder of the season because if your neighborhood is anything like ours, already we're seeing all kinds of lights and trees and uh, all kinds of seasonal uh, decorations and beauty. So it's really nice to be together. It's really nice to have that um, on our plate to look forward to. I can't believe it, but today is the 26th, and that means a month from now is the day after Christmas. So how can that be? But anyway, it's good to be together and to look forward to all these things. I'm gonna to read to you from Galatians 3 today, and I'm going to pick a bunch of verses from the chapter because it's just too hard <laughs> to either, A, I've got to read the whole chapter, or B, I've just got to pick a few here and there so I can catch you up on the flow of the whole uh, thing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you through it, but we're going to begin at verse 1 and read through 3. Then I'm going to skip to 7 and go to 14, and then 23 to 29. So... We always remember when we read the Bible that this is God's Word, it's His truth, it's infallible, it's without error in all that He teaches us so that we can know Him and know Him better. The Apostle Paul starts like this in verse 1 of chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Verse 7, Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now skip down to 23. <clears throat> but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up in the faith, shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now, the faith, now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. 
For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. This is God's word. Let's bow and pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come this morning, coming to your word, resting in your truth, resting in the gospel of Jesus, resting in the righteousness of Christ, thanking you for justification by faith. Father, thanking you for all the blessings of, of your grace to us. Father, we take these things for granted so often, and um, I know that I don't give you the praise and the thanksgiving for what you've done as I should. And I thank you that today we can come back again and look at the wonders of your mercy. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, you know, this month, the month of November, is often the month that we think about Reformation, the Reformation. We think about Reformation Sunday, early November, late October. We think about Martin Luther. We think about the 95 theses on the, do on the door of the Wittenberg Church. We think a lot about <clears throat> the things that mark us as Protestant believers, marking us in the Reformed tradition. And we look at the scripture and we think about what is justifying faith. What does it look like and how do we know that we have it? If you were raised in church, uh, you know, it's one of those things that came up and I imagine came up in your life where you said, what does it mean to be justified in God's sight? What does it mean to be forgiven? What does it mean to be free? Well, those questions really aren't new. Everybody asks those questions. Uh, but in fact, we find that the Christians in Galatia had to struggle with this. And it's not only just the members of the church, but even it says Paul and Peter got into it about what is justification and who's really justified. And if they're really justified and if we're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, are we going to be able to eat together? And they all ate together for a while, and then some people from the Jerusalem church came down who were part of the Jewish believers, and they said, Jews don't eat with Gentiles. And so they pulled back, you know? So Peter and Paul had to get into it about what it meant to be a real Christian, about what it meant to be a true son of God. Well... It should make us feel better that they struggled with it because sometimes when we struggle and try to figure all of this out, you know, it's hard for us as well. But what does it mean when I'm justified and do I believe? You know, part of the problem that the, the people that came down from the Jewish background believers, the part of the problem they had was, you know, how, how does the law fit in with grace? And that's what we've read this morning. How does the law fit in with grace? Do I believe 
and then obey the law and then become justified because I obeyed the law? Or do I believe I experience justification and then I keep the law because it pleases God? You see, those are two very different approaches. And we have to look at those this morning because the, the Jewish believers that came down from Jerusalem said, you believe in Jesus, you keep the law, that way God saves you. Then God saves you. But Paul's saying, uh-uh. No, what we've always understood is we believe in Jesus Christ, we're justified in God's sight, we don't have to earn his approval by keeping the law, we're approved then, and we keep the law now not because we have to to get saved, but because we're already saved. We want to keep the law and do what God says. So that was the crux of the argument that Paul had with Peter and that the church had with these Jewish background believers. Well, these Jewish background believers had come to the church at Galatia and they were stirring up trouble. They were getting people to side with them and they were trying to cause problems. They believed that trusting in Jesus for salvation was not enough, that in order to be saved, a non-Jew had to become Jewish. They had to become Jewish in background. They had to keep the circumcision laws. They had to keep the food laws. They had to keep the clean and the unclean laws. They had to, you know, in Colossians, he talks about having you know, there was, there was a bunch of people that wanted to go back and do the feasts and observe the new moon festivals and do all those kinds of things. And Paul just comes on and says, listen, what does it mean to be justified in God's sight? What does it mean to be accepted? And what does it mean for us to live out our faith afterwards? Well, the, the people from the Jewish background group had infiltrated the churches in Galatia and they caused all these problems. And so Paul has to write this letter. And in the very beginning in chapter 1, he says in verse 6, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. In other words, he's just introduced himself. He's just written the you know, at the top of the letter, he's just written, Paul to the churches in Galatia. And then the first thing out of his mouth is, I am amazed, I'm bumfuzzled, that you are so quick to desert the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another gospel. Uh, and some of you are, uh, dis some are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, then he is to be accursed. As we've said before, so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, let him be accursed. Anathema. Boy, strong language from Paul right out of the, I mean right out of the gate. Paul to the churches at Galatia, I'm amazed that you've left the gospel. So today we're going to look at what is real justifying faith. We want to talk about how we get it, who it's for, and what are its results. So let's jump in on justification. What does it mean to be justified? Well, the New City Catechism, which is a 
uh, a compilation of Westminster, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Heidelberg, and then John Calvin's Geneva Confession. They've kind of brought it down to this. The New City Confession says, Catechism says, in question 19, is there any way to escape the punishment and to be brought back into God's favor? And the answer is, yes. To satisfy His justice, God Himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to Himself and delivers us from sin and from punishment for sin by a Redeemer. The next question is, who is this Redeemer? The only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, in whom God became man and bore the penalty for sin Himself. You see, here's what justification is all about. Justification is all about God's justifying work in us. In, in chapter 3 at verse 8, it says, The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. Genesis 12, 3. Well, it says an interesting statement. It says, the Scripture foreseeing that God. Now, you know what that word foreseeing is? That word foreseeing is foreseeing, but the way that word is used, it, it means foreordaining. What God foresees, He foreordains. Because He doesn't just look ahead and see what the future is going to be. He determines what the future is going to be. Because otherwise, he's a God with no power at all. He doesn't just see the future, he ordains the future. It says, The Scripture having foreordained that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the good news beforehand to Abraham. Now the Scripture doesn't foreordain anything. This is that way that you speak when you say God is the one who foreordains this. God is foreordaining the way of salvation and it's by faith, and it's through a Redeemer, and the Redeemer is the only Redeemer for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham believed that. You know, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day, and he rejoiced in it. He was thankful. Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him for righteousness. And so everyone who is to be justified must recognize that justification by faith is God's plan. That's what he's saying here. Justification by faith is God's plan. This is what he's working out for us. It doesn't glorify us because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. In other words, if we could work for it, it wouldn't be grace. If we could work for it, it'd just be what we were owed. If we could work for it, it'd be us saving ourselves. It's interesting that when they built an altar one time, you remember what God said in the building of the altar? He said, let no tool be upon it. Let no human tool be on that altar. In other words, they were stacking some stones up and making an altar out of it. And he said, don't, don't touch a human tool to it. Francis Schaeffer says that's significant because that points out to us that God was saying, no human work is going to be the basis of your salvation. It's all of God. 
Everything is of God. God is the one who plans it, he carries it out, and he gives it to us. It's all of grace and it's all of mercy. Now, the scripture, it says in chapter 3, verse 22, the scripture has consigned or shut up everyone under sin. In other words, how can man save himself if we're all consigned or judged under sin? That we're all so sinful. Sinful people can't have perfect righteousness, can't generate perfect righteousness. Only a perfect God can be a perfect one to give us righteousness. He says we're not only consigned under sin, but we're under the curse of the law. In Galatians 3.10, for he says, as many as are the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, cursed is everyone who doesn't abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. You know, that was the law that said, you know, if you're going to live by the law, then you have to keep every bit of it. If you're going to save yourself by the law, then okay, you've got to keep everything in it. You've got to keep everything in the law. That's why the Jews were so uh, fastidious about everything. You remember they built, they made a book this thick about what it took to keep the law. They kept adding to it. Oh, to keep the law about the Sabbath, you had to do this. You couldn't travel that far. You had to have this. You had to carry out this. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. Oh, to do this. And they had 660 laws about the Ten Commandments, or about keeping the law. They just went overboard and said, this is how you keep the law. But God says, you can't keep the law because you're under the curse and because you're, such a, you're sinful. Um, and being under the curse, we realize that the blessing of understanding this is that the gospel tells us that Jesus came as the one to bear the curse for us. Those who were cursed in the Old Testament said when you, when you did something worthy of death, what they did was they took, you, they took you, they killed you, hung your body on a tree because it was the shame, the shame and the um, dishonor of breaking God's law. But what does Christ do? In 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, Christ himself bore our own sins in his body on the tree. In other words, Christ was hung and they, they spoke of it, the cross, as the tree because they were reminding us of Deuteronomy where it says, those who break the law have to die. They're hung up in shame on the tree and they're judged for that. Justification, you see, is God's way of taking away the curse. It's God's way of taking away um, it's saving us. It's God's way of saving us from being under the curse of the law. And it's God's way of reconciling us to himself and delivering us by a redeemer. The Lord Jesus, the one who himself bore our own sins in his body on the tree. Okay, so now that we know what justification is and how we receive it by faith, who is it for? Well... Paul says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means everybody's sinful, everybody's under the curse. So everybody, it's justification is for all of us. He started off by saying, you know, justification would, would be for Abraham and for his family. Well, it starts in Genesis, but you come to Abraham and you see it again. 
Justification is for Abraham's family because he says, I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you and I'll make your name great. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So the blessing of grace is for everybody. It's for, uh, as we're going to see in the end of the chapter, it's for Jews and for Greeks. It's for slaves and for free. It's for men and women. It's for everybody. The gospel is the good news that's the good news for everybody, for all the families of the earth. The Jews needed it. The Gentiles needed it. People everywhere needed to hear. You know, because we go back to the book of Revelation, and you go in Revelation chapter 5, and he says that God is the one who decreed that around the throne, what's going to be there? He said around the throne, around the Lamb of God in the center of the throne, there are going to be people from every tribe, tongue, nation. Every tribe, tongue, people group, and nation. There are going to be people around the throne giving praise to God. So the gospel is for everybody. We talked about a few weeks ago, I think, that... Um, the fact that the gospel is for everybody. The Jews messed up. The Jews thought, oh, the gospel is just for us because we're the chosen nation, so it's only for us, and we don't have to care about Assyrians. We don't have to care about Babylonians. We don't have to care about all these other people, Egyptians. We want them all to be blown up, you know? But the gospel was always for every nation. It was for every people, and the Jews were to be a light to the world so that they could take the, the glory of God's plan of salvation to all the world. Now, if the gospel is for everybody, if we know what it is, we know how he justifies us by faith, we know who the message is for, then what are the results? What are the results of justification? Well, first thing you notice is that you're free. If if you're in Christ, you're really free. You know, you're free because you're no longer a slave. You remember in John chapter 3, he says that, uh, that there's basically two kinds of people. There's people that are saved in Christ, and then there are people that are still under judgment. You're at, um, I think it was John Stott who says you're either under law or you're... In Christ. You're either under law or in Christ. There's two groups of people. Before we were saved and justified, you know, we were slaves. We were slaves to sin. That's what the Bible tells us, is that we're slaves to sin and that we can't get out from under it. You know how before you're converted, you, you wrestle with something and you say, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to live a better life. And so we, take, we say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And tomorrow we get right back into it. And what, God, what does God say to us? Well, the trouble is you're a slave under sin. It's hard to get out when you don't have the help and power of the Holy Spirit. But the person who's a Christian has the help and power of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We're new people. We have a new nature that loves God and loves to obey Him. We have a new spirit that lives within us. And so we have new power to say no to sin and yes to God. We have that new power to have victory. So we're no longer slaves. We're free. Now, it doesn't mean 
You're free to live any way you want. We're still, we're free to live any way we ought to live. The way we ought to live to please God. So what does is, what is justification produce in us? It produces freedom, a wonderful freedom. A freedom of a new way to live. And we're to live by faith. Now, when, when we talk about living by faith, you know, there's basically, we think about how, how we live. We can live, we live by faith because we're trusting in Jesus and we live out of our faith. We live from it because it's our faith that tells us how to live and how to please God and how to walk with Him. And it's our faith that um, informs the way that we live. It informs the way we treat other people. Do we welcome strangers? Do we treat others of a different race with respect? Do we approach our work with honesty and integrity? Do we consider our spouse? Do we consider his or her needs before our own? Are we generous with our income? Are we quick to forgive? Are we slow to get angry? You see, the Bible teaches us how to live out of our faith. It teaches us to live on the basis of our faith, but it teaches us to live out of the faith that God has given us so that we please Him. Now that the faith has come, you're free, though. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You're not a slave to Satan. You're not a slave and in bondage. But the result is you have that wonderful freedom. Now, he says, the other result is justifi of justification is that uh, we are, as Paul says in verse 26, that we are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what does this mean? Well, remember, it was only the, the sons that inherited. Uh, the daughters didn't inherit in those days. It, Philip Ryken says it like this. If we're in Christ, then we're God's offspring, sons of Abraham. This is important because in the ancient world, only the son received the inheritance. To say that we are all sons of God has nothing to do with being masculine. Sonship means that we will inherit everything that God has ever promised to give his children, like forgiveness of sin, heaven, eternal life, and all the rest. The joy of being a son of God is that it's not just for the masculine members of the church, but it's for the feminine members of the church. We're all sons of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So we all inherit everything that Christ is inheriting. We all have this wonderful inheritance. You know, isn't it funny, you know, you'll watch a TV show and this guy will get a letter and he'll say, oh, your uncle in Australia died and he's left you $5 million. Well, you find out usually sometime in the program that he really didn't leave them $5 million and their hopes are all dashed. You know, but everybody's hopes are up at first. Oh, I'm going to get this great inheritance. But the trick is we've got a better inheritance than that. God says he's, he's going to give us the inheritance of everything that Christ possesses because we're called co-inheritors with Jesus Christ. So we inherit the wonder of heaven, the wonder of forgiveness of sin, the wonder of everyday grace, being free from 
the curse of the law and the judgment of the law. We have these wonderful freedom. We're adopted and we're part of this large, diverse family. Now, we're part of this large, diverse family called the body of Christ. The body of Christ is, you know, he says in verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Now in society as a whole, you look around, there's all kinds of differences. There's all kinds of differences in society. There's differences according to status. Um, the Apostle Paul said there's no Jews, no Greeks, no slave, no free. There's not male and female. In society, there were differences in status. Socrates is the one who said, I thank you, God, that I was not born a human being. I was born a human being and not a beast. I thank you that I was born a man and not a woman. And I thank you that I was born a Greek and not a barbarian. In society, there's all these differences. There's the differences according to your race or your class or your gender or your socioeconomic status. But in the church, it's not like that. Gentiles in society were unclean pagans viewed by the Jews. Slaves had no rights at all. And women were second-class citizens. You could divorce a woman for any reason that you wanted to. The Jews did it all the time. That's why they came to Jesus and said, can we get a divorce for any reason possible, just like Moses taught us? Well, Moses didn't say that, but that's what they concluded. The Apostle Paul says, no. He says, we are to love and treasure one another. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, you are all one in Jesus Christ. Gentiles in the church weren't treated as unclean. The poor and the slaves weren't treated with contempt. And women were not treated, and women were treated with honor and respect rather than as something to be uh, discarded when you didn't like them. The Apostle Paul, remember, told husbands to love their wives like Christ loved the church so that he might present her to himself as the church in all her glory without spot or wrinkle. That kind of self-giving love is important. And that's exactly what the scripture tells us. So the church was to become this family where everyone was accepted because of not, didn't matter what your background was. It didn't matter what your language was. It didn't matter what color your skin was. It didn't matter uh, where you grew up. It didn't matter whether you were a man or a woman. It didn't matter whether you were poor or rich. It didn't matter on what status you were anywhere in society. The church was to become that family where all were accepted and all welcomed and all the gifts together were used in unity for the growth and the blessing of the whole body. But do you know what else are the fruits of justification? Peace and assurance. You know, there should be peace and assurance in our lives. And that should flow out of us to the other people around us. You know, that should be flowing out of us to our neighbors, to our friends, to our relatives. You know, they often say that Thanksgiving is one of the hardest holidays of the year. 
because they sit, you say, you sit down at the table and you have awkward conversations. Well, you know, that's often true. But you know, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is that place where, where we are all one in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he loved us and he died for us. And so the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ should be flowing out of us at every, uh, at every part of our life. And that assurance of salvation should be, we should be showing the, the joy that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ because that's attractive to the world that doesn't have much joy or peace. Peace and assurance because of our standing before God should radiate from our lives. But you know, good works should also flow out of our lives. So often we see different segments of society <clears throat> and we see that they care about important things and different people uh, are, are doing different good works. You know, you think about these foundations that are set up and they, they try to solve uh, homelessness or they try to solve... Um, some other problem of society. It, you take the things that Bill Gates has tried to solve with his foundation or some of these others. They're doing good works and we should give thanks for these things. But we should be doing good works. We should be showing the love of Christ to our society around us. That they should see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. You see, we can do this because we've been reconciled, because we've been justified, because we have been delivered from sin and punishment by the only Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for justifying us in your sight, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. We thank you that he kept the law for us, that he took away the curse from us, that he bore the curse himself, that he was judged for our sins, that he took everything that we deserved. And Father, we want to give you glory today. We want to live for you. We want to do the things that please you. And we want to live in ways that the world sees our peace and assurance and that they look for that peace uh, from us, and they find it in you. We pray that, Father, we will be your instruments in this society in which we live as long as you give us breath. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior and King. Amen.